0: Hello, my beautiful beans of the land. Um, today I am going to be talking – there's a lot to pack in today, I'm not going to lie. I've got some brain facts. I've got a pet hate. I've got um, a whole bunch of hacks that you can start using, like really – you can start implementing these hacks today. Uh, and it's all – look, I haven't thought about the title of the episode. Obviously you know it now because you're listening to it, but it's something around harnessing your brain waves, increasing productivity, uh, creativity, and concentration and you know basically being a bad bitch in general is what this episode is all about. So there's a lot of science backing everything that we're going to say today. I know that obviously this is a psychology neuroscience podcast but some episodes are more sciencey than others and today is one of them which I love. They're my favorite ones. So I kind of think we should just dive straight in and talk about my number one pet hate, because this pet hate is kind of going to tie into the episode of today. And I think I might have spoken about this before. Actually, I'm sure I have. But anyway, my pet hate is when people self-diagnose themselves with ADHD. Okay. So it's these people that say, oh, my ADHD, I'm sure I've got ADHD. I this, I that. I I know so many people that do it. And it's just like, I'm sitting there smiling with my blood slowly boiling because I'm like, cunt. You can't stand there and be successful, like just chilling, succeeding at your nine-to-five job, have normal social circles and use your quote-unquote ADHD as an excuse as to why your attention drifts on the things that you just don't care enough about. That isn't ADHD. And by saying that that's ADHD when you don't want to pay attention to the things you just don't like or when someone's talking about something that you don't give a fuck about so you keep changing the the topic and then when people pull you up and, oh, sorry, I've got ADHD. No. No. Hunt, you don't you are patronizing people that do have adhd and what actually is happening instead of adhd because people have it and that's a real thing and i've got a podcast all about that and it's a lot more intense than people who falsely claim they have it realize okay what's actually going on is that we as a community culture society whatever we have an attentional problem most of us have an attentional problem because most of us kind of um buy into you know notifications, phones, social media, emails all the time, this technology, 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 which has served us a lot and continues to serve our lives, but it also – we then get an attentional deficit all round because of that, okay? So we prioritise technology, which is – created to scatter our attention we struggle to hold attention because we prioritize things that are designed to pull our attention away from our task so someone that's claiming to have adhd when they don't want to pay attention to something they're not interested in are just falling more victim to these things that are created to pull your attention um, and probably have a little bit less self-control with those things which can be gained self-control is something that's always in flux you can do things to improve your self-control quite quickly and quite effectively but it ultimately is a choice whereas if you have full-blown adhd you're probably not going to fare too well in a nine to five job when you've got meetings back to back or in you know where you have to be at an office and this and that no one loves sitting in an office you know being on task all day long growing someone else's dream like that's not really what most people enjoy doing and the fact that you don't like it is not an indicator that you have an attentional disorder that you should you know have a treatment plan for you know there's a huge difference so that's obviously my pet hate but what I would recommend if you are one of those people that – and I'm not ta- – like, fine, if you say one of those things like, oh, my God, my ADHD, What? Are, okay, fine. If you want to joke, I'm not a psycho like that. I'm not going to be like, you actually don't have it, whatever. But more for the people that stand there and repeatedly for year on year on year claim that they truly believe that they have ADHD. If you're not going to a GP and getting a referral and getting on a treatment plan, then you don't actually have it. Or if you do have it, it's mild enough – that it's extremely manageable and then in which case you probably don't have it. So it's kind of like if you're not willing to actually do something about it and treat it, the likelihood of you having it is slim to none because people that actually have ADHD come across a lot of roadblocks and it is very challenging to live your life doing the things that everyone else around you is doing. It is a challenge and you need assistance and you need a treatment plan and there are things that can be done for you to, and it's got nothing to do with intelligence, but there are things that can be done for someone with ADHD to manage their lives quite well, but they've got to do things differently in order for it to work, whether it's medicated or unmedicated. There's a million different ways you can do it. So when my friends do say that, and when people I know do say that, I say to them, switch off your notifications and see how your attention span begins to improve. And their answer is, oh, I can't switch off my emails or I can't switch off my Slack notifications because of work. Fine. That might be the case, but then don't claim to have ADHD. Your work might be a job where you're forced to have your attention pulled left, right and center constantly all day long. But that's not an attentional disorder. You are put in a position whether willingly or unwillingly where you are constantly having your attention split and then every time you turn to get back on task, it takes you longer and longer because you're scattered and you're overwhelmed, okay? That is the difference. And a lot of the time people are in a position to switch off their notifications but they feel like they're not in control if they do that because they're going to miss out on reading something or hearing something, okay? But the difference is, the reality is you're actually not in control when your notifications are going crazy all the time because you're not in control with what you were doing with your time, okay? So my recommendation and what I do is I actually have my phone on silent all the fucking time and because my phone's close enough to me all day long, that if someone's calling me, I probably see it light up. And if I miss it, it's not the end of the world. And for me, I get so much more done when I don't have ding, ding, ping, 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 constantly, you know, going on all day long. So that would be my recommendation. Now, let's get into some brain facts. I've got kind of two things that I want to talk about. The first one, I just want to address something. I've seen a few questions come up about this, and I think it is important to address it. I've spoken about, aspirin and the effects of aspirin and how like the the mechanism of action of aspirin and i've had people ask me like i I did this a couple i wish i could refer the episode back i didn't write it down but it's maybe like four or five episodes ago and i've had some people say oh i'm really worried now because i take aspirin every single day you know as a blood thinner or my child takes aspirin or i've had a few people say oh my parents take aspirin all the time because they've got you know risk of heart attack high heart attack risk etc the beauty of taking aspirin when you need to take it is that you're likely on quite a small dose. If you're taking aspirin every single day, you're probably on like a baby dose of like a quarter aspirin or half an aspirin tablet, okay? Aspirin takes around seven to ten days to clear your system because like I've spoken about before, it bonds covalently, which means it's an unbreakable bond and the only way to then knock aspirin off, you can't actually knock aspirin off the cell um, that cell has to turn over altogether. And so uh, the platelet in this scenario where aspirin, you know, has bound to, that turns over every 10 days. But the beauty of that is that every couple of days you're getting new platelets come through the whole time. You're not, like, when it binds to all these platelets, you've bound to some platelets that are brand new, some that are three days old, some that are 10 days old. So it's constantly in this regeneration phase, constantly. If you have to take aspirin for a medical reason – I wouldn't worry about these effects of aspirin because you're getting them bonding the necessary amount and that way it's helping other areas of your body perform better. I wouldn't recommend you take aspirin for the for the very far-fetched risk that you may have a heart attack one day if you don't have heart attack risk, if you don't have a heart condition, or if you don't have, you know, if you don't need to thin your blood. I wouldn't recommend you take it just willy-nilly. That's pointless. But if you have a reason to take it, then it is a benefit. You've always got to weigh up risk to reward ratio when it comes to medication and the amount of medication. So I would not worry If you have been prescribed a small amount of aspirin to take every single day, that does get flushed out of your system and often you only need a tiny amount for those um, platelets not to bind together to keep your blood thin enough. And this is also one of the reasons why if you're going in for surgery, um, you'll be told if you take daily aspirin, you'll be told not to take it about a week prior and that's just because of like the blood thinning, whatever. And the reason why they say a week prior is because that's roughly how long it takes For all those cells to turn over and for the aspirin to completely be eliminated from your body. Anyway, so that's that. Next brain fact I want to be talking about, and this is what I'm really excited to get into, is brain waves. We're gonna break down each brain wave. There's five categories. You're gonna understand what they're useful for, what happens when you have too much of it or too little of the activity in that like wave band. Um, and how to increase certain, like in particular, your alpha brain waves, and what that does for you, and how that literally transforms how you're like how you are productive, how you focus, all of the above. So it's going to be intense. We're going to pack a lot in. Let's get into it. All right. So, brain waves. Brainwaves, pretty much firstly, what are they? They're electrical impulses in the brain and brainwaves are produced when these electrical impulses are synchronised throughout neurons and synapses. So there's fast and slow frequencies and they're going to kind of determine the level of activity and how that plays out in your behaviour, in what you're doing and what actually goes down in the brain while these – different layers of activity are happening. They also do happen across different regions of the brain. So you might have more activity, for example, in the frontal lobes or less activity, et cetera. And additionally to all of that, I'm going to break down the five different categories, but additionally to all of that, there are studies that have shown, I actually did like a really big piece at uni in my master's for this, but it's looking for this, well, well, this correlation exists between anomalies or, kind of like abnormalities, basically, with brain waves and how high or low they are in the amounts when compared to like a controlled population group with children who then go on to develop autism spectrum disorder. So, it's kind of like you're seeing almost like a precursor when the child could be just months old of these abnormal brain waves. And then those children who show no other signs in their behaviour at that point then go on, not all of them, but a big percentage of them then go on to develop autism spectrum disorder and other attentional disorders as well and also learning disabilities and depression and all of that. So there is a very strong link between Brain waves and abnormalities within your brain waves, and what that represents. All brain waves are crucial. We do need them all. So it's not good to be like, I always want to be in this alpha state. Fuck no, because then you would get like it just wouldn't happen. Okay. There's so much that you wouldn't get done, and so much that the brain wouldn't be able to do. So they're all important, but it's all about knowing when to what each one represents and when to harness certain things. Like meditation is great to increase the time that you spend in these alpha wavelengths and I'll explain that in a second. So what I want to do now is I want to break down the different waves. So the first one is delta, well I'm counting them, it's from like the bottom up if you want to talk about activity or whatever, but I'm starting with delta. So delta is between one to three hertz, it's the slowest and really high amplitude wave, so really slow. Imagine if you're looking at waves as the peak and valley being really big, okay, but it goes quite slowly. Um, that's if you're thinking about a visual representation. So this happens when we're asleep and if it's suppressed, the brain is unable to rejuvenate itself and the rest of the body. So if you're not getting, if you're not getting into that Delta brain wave frequency when you're sleeping, then you're going to feel really unrested. It's going to affect your healing. You're not going to be able to heal properly and it's really going to affect your immune system as well. So that's Delta when you're kind of like in a, deep sleep crucial super important then we've got theta that's four to seven hertz so it's vibrating at a higher higher hertz um the waves are still big in size but it's faster and that's kind of that twilight state when you're kind of drifting into sleep and may or may not be awake so it's super relaxed and not much is happening on a conscious activity level um then on then after that you've got alpha and that ranges between eight to twelve hertz and this is slower and large. The waves are large and it goes slower and it's associated with relaxation but also you are ready to act and ready to respond when necessary. So you're very, you're awake, you're alert but you're very relaxed. So this state is also increased when you meditate or when you do breath work, um, just take some focused deep breaths to kind of get centered. If alpha waves are way too high, which is not really common in general, it leads to inability to focus and being overly relaxed and daydreaming and all of that. If it's blocked, then you're going to get insomnia, stress and anxiety. So I'm going to talk about how to increase your alpha in a little bit. Then we've got beta, that's 13 to 38 hertz, and these are small and fast waves. And it's, What we're in most of the time during our daily activity, so when you're doing cognitive tasks, racing around all day, it's a state of conscious activity. And if you have too much of this beta activity, then it leads to high arousal, anxiety, and a difficulty to relax. Then we've got gamma, which is 39 to 42 hertz, and these are small and the fastest and most subtle waves. And gamma is actually quite difficult to observe and to study because they're harder to detect when you're trying to observe them Um, when you've got like those EEG caps on someone and you're trying to observe, you know, the the activity Uh, because there's a lot of contamination with a person moving and like involuntary muscle movements that actually contaminate the vibration. So it is hard to view when you're studying it, but it's involved in memory and long-term memory processing and... Like all the other brain waves, they are absolutely necessary. But again, too much of it is going to lead to high arousal, anxiety, stress. And if you have too little of these gamma waves, it can lead to learning disabilities, ADHD, and depression. So, optimum levels of gamma are going to help with focus, um, binding of senses, and also perception as well. So, then when you're looking at these brain waves and what's happening in something like ADHD, epilepsy, head injury, and even chronic fatigue, there's an excess of these slow, theta and sometimes um, excess alpha waves in the frontal lobe and the frontal lobe is the part of the brain which r- is responsible for executive function like controlling your attention your emotions and concentration so if you can imagine that there's not enough of the attentional alert brain waves occurring in those regions then you're going to have problem regulating your attention and your arousal and that's why it can affect you know your learning and of course your attention so keep all of that in mind I'm now going to go through some tools Tips and tricks and hacks, whatever you want to call it, to improve your attention and productivity, science-backed. Let's get into it. Number one, one of the best ways to improve your attention and your productivity is to declutter your space. This is huge, and I think that people don't understand the actual science behind it either, or the neuroscience behind it, I should say. Physical clutter and knowledge of physical clutter, like awareness of mess, actually pulls your attention away from what you are trying to focus on. There's been studies done on this. It is like a fog in your brain. Our brains love order. We are primed to love order. We love it when things look neat. Some people more so than others. Some people love it so much to the extent that they get a physical or a visceral reaction when they see things that are out of order. Like imagine that you've got rainbow pencils that are all lined up in a perfect rainbow and then two of them have been switched. That actually makes them feel like so like um, anxious or um, unnerved just seeing something like that. Or it's kind of like where you're looking at all these books that are perfectly, perfectly – lined up and one is pulled out slightly and you just have this urge to push it back some people more so than others but this is this idea that the brain loves order neatness and there's even videos out there on like Instagram and TikTok of purposely showing things that are all perfect and then one thing that's out of line and I always send it to my cousin Giselle because she's so obsessed with order and we always joke about like how it just like irks her to see one little thing out of place so um but that's just how our brains are wired. We love that shit. So when you know, or when, say, you're at your desk and there's shit all over your desk, that's actually pulling your attention away. It's at a very subconscious level, some people very consciously, but for everyone else, at a, at some level, your brain's saying, there's disorder here and I need to sort this shit out and this is actually pulling my focus away from this. If your house is a pigsty and you've had to rush off to work. That is in the back of your mind. It is pulling your attention. So one of the best ways to have a calm, clear mind is to have a clear and tidy space. Tidy space, tidy mind. And if you haven't noticed this, it could be due due to the fact that you're normally quite a messy person or you just have a lot of possessions everywhere like a borderline hoarder and you've just not experienced the benefits of minimal clutter or the benefits of having no mess on your levels of productivity. So you might not have a gauge, something to compare it to. But if you are someone that is used to something really neat and tidy and everything put away – then you're gonna, you will know what I'm talking about and you really know the difference when you have that contrast and how much it actually does affect your mental space as well. And there are all these studies that show that it actually drains your cognitive resources by pulling your focus and attention away. And the same thing goes for when, like I said, just knowing that something needs to be tidied up. It doesn't even have to be in front of you for it to pull your cognitive um, attention away. So give your brain what it wants. Just fucking give in to your fucking brain. Tidy your space. Tidy it up. Streamline. Give shit away. Throw shit out that needs to be thrown out. Don't keep anything that you're not using. Don't keep double ups of something. Don't do it. You'll, you'll transform your life. I would even say I, I try and dedicate one day every month or two months to do a deep clean of my possessions or clothes and I give it away um, or you know, get rid of stuff that I, I'm not using anymore and it's not serving me. Number two, here's a really short and sweet one, but there's actually been studies done on this, chewing gum. Chewing gum is a really good way that if you're lagging in productivity and you're just like, grab a piece of nice and minty freshness, chug it in your mouth, chew, 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 chew. That's going to awaken your senses. You're going to be more alert because there's more things occurring within your body that's pleasant you know it's not like it's an unpleasant thing that's drawing your focus it's just kind of keeping you in the zone this whole chewing and tasting feeling makes you more present and then it actually weirdly helps you pay attention so that's one weird one that you can use number three write whatever's in your head write it on paper this works for everything guys this works for when you are well, to do list number one—that's what I'm referring to—and I'm going to expand on that in a sec. So, to do lists are the best. But you know when this also really works for when you have had a beef with someone and you just—it's—it's it's doing your head in because you haven't said what you wanted to say and you're angry and whatever. Writing down how you feel and everything that's on your mind is so therapeutic. And therapists make people do this all the time. But get just the simple action of taking it out of your head and putting it on paper is enough therapy that a lot of people, once they've done that, they don't even feel the need to send the letter or they don't feel the need to call the person and read what they had written. That is often enough satisfaction because they're like, oh, it's now off my chest. I've got it on the paper. And there's a reason behind that. Because when things are in the back of our mind or when we have to remember to say something like, I wish I had said this, or when we think, fuck, I've got to, I've got to pay that bill, and then I've got to go and renew my rego. And then I've got to go do laundry and blah, 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 blah. There's two There's two things that are going on here. Number one, you're stressed that you're not going to remember it. So you, you've got the panic of I've got to remember all these things as well as the fact that I've got to do it. And number two, when things are in the back of your mind or when you're trying to avoid things, you miscalculate how hard it's going to be, how long it's going to take and how much it would actually affect your day. When you shed light on something and when you write it down and when it's right there in front of you, whether it's short-term, mid-term or long-term, you've cut out, A, the need to remember and you've also started to put things into perspective of what your day is going to look like or what your week is going to look like and that is very calming. It's a really good way to lower your anxiety and lower your stress levels and be able to crack it all open and be like, hey, this is what it actually looks like. This is everything that I have to do or everything that's on my mind that I wish I had said or done or whatever. It's all on paper. Every once in a while, I mean, always. I I, I love doing a daily to do list. That to me is very helpful. If I fucking love it. But every once in a while, sit down and do a huge life admin list. And I'm talking about create all these categories. You 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 make as many categories, categories as you want. But we've got social, personal, health, career, work, study, home slash life admin. Then you put everything down from paying your car rego bill to booking in for your first psychology session to signing up for that course to cleaning the inside of your fucking like the lint in your dryer like I'm talking about put it all down what you realize here is you're already going to feel lighter you're like I don't have to remember any of this now it's here then you're also going to be able to categorize things instead of trying to do all these like All these tasks in one day, I could do one task from here, one task from there, one task from there, so I don't feel so overwhelmed in one category and I can kind of break it up. You're also going to realise that a lot of what weighs you down psychologically is the anticipation of something. So you end up experiencing that fucking task twice. you anticipating it and scared that you're going to forget it, so you keep replaying it in your head again and again. And then you have to go and fucking experience it again by doing it physically. And so often it's that that brings us down. It's the overwhelm of anticipation that brings us down. So often we underestimate how well we will do at coping with a task or coping with the unknown. We, we underestimate ourselves. We think it's going to be so much worse. We think that we're going to be so much more incapable than what we actually are. So for a lot of us, the anticipation is worse than going through the actual event and this is for so much so often we will fear the worst happening and then when the quote-unquote worst happens we're like oh like it sucks but I'm I'm fine like I'm getting through it and and I, I will get through the end of this and there's other shit that's happening that's good it's not the only thing going in my life I'm fine you know, so that is one of the best reasons why you should write everything down because it helps cut out that anticipation, it makes it realistic, it puts shit into perspective and you don't have, you're not wasting time blowing it out of proportion in your mind. Making loose plans is one of the best ways to reduce anxiety, okay, Don't get too specific because then you get caught up on the details and when things don't go your way, but just having a loose plan of like, this is what is up with my life and these are kind of the things that I have to address, okay? Brushing it under the rug or feeling like you need to control every aspect of your life, the two extremes are what's going to cause you anxiety, okay? Anxiety comes from feeling that you have no control, from fear of the unknown and I believe that anxiety is the distance between where you are now and where you think you should be, okay? So, one of the best ways to break up that distance is to be like, here is what I'm dealing with, and it's no longer in my head, it's on paper. I can now, it's literally like you are putting weight from your head onto the paper. Number four, I want you to start chunking and blocking everything. I've spoken to you guys about time blocking before, but now I'm gonna talk about chunking and you can call it chunking or blocking in all other aspects of your life. So, time blocking, for those of you that haven't heard those episodes, is basically where you block out a certain amount of time where you're going to have optimal productivity levels for a lot of people it's it's kind of between the 20 to 45 minute mark 30 minutes is a great amount of time to start with and that, then you can gauge if you need more or less but what you do is you set a timer and you are strict with that timer i did it for, this is what got me through uni and i was really strict with it especially in the last 2 years of my degree so what you do you set that timer and you turn your phone on silent okay and and mind you alarms still work when your phone's on silent so you turn your phone on silent you put it aside you don't look at it you flip it upside down you're not seeing anything on the screen and you work like a dog basically for those 30 minutes or whatever. And then the timer goes off and you give yourself a timed break. And on this break, you do whatever the fuck you want. You go and make yourself a cup of coffee. You play solitaire on your computer. You jump up and down. You Ideally something that's going to change your state. So I like to get up and move and then return. But you just shake it up. You change it. You, you switch your focus off. And then you come back after about 10 minutes, 15, whatever. And you put that timer on again. That's time blocking. You're actually way more efficient blocking it and adding r- timed rests than quote-unquote working throughout you can't work throughout you can't sustain your focus for that long so that's why it's not good so time blocking is one thing and I always recommend you do that but chunking and blocking everything is a fantastic way to make things look achievable relatively you know easy and enjoyable most importantly enjoyable okay so I use this technique for everything. I use it when I run. I visualize certain, and I'll break that down in a sec. I use it when I tidy my wardrobe. I break everything into sections. And then I don't worry about the whole task being completed. I don't look at this whole thing has to be done. I don't look at this massive mountain. I look at these little chunks that I'm trying to complete. So for example, I'll, I'll give you the example of my, the, how I do it when I run. If I've gone for a run, and let's, let's say hypothetically I'm running 15Ks, Okay. I've run the first five and if, if I were to look at how far I've run, if I say to myself, you've got 10Ks to go, what do you think I'm – going? especially me, I'm not the best runner in the world. I really – like I have to really get in the zone. So if I'm thinking then, okay, I've got 10Ks to go, I'm probably going to start convincing myself, oh, sit down, you've got a long way to go. Sit down, have some water, regroup, get in the zone and go. That little devil on your shoulder telling you to sit down when I know I'm capable of running a longer distance but here I'm being like, you've got 10Ks to go, take a rest – alternatively what I do is I visually map out the rest of my run I know visually what it looks like I know where I'm running so I start to break it into sections so I think okay I've got seven sections left in my head section one is until I get to the botanical gardens section two is the ferry terminal section three is the bridge and then I just break it up into sections so then I think just get to the end of section one. And I get there and then I'm like, fuck it, I'm in the zone. I've only got like, f- you know, five sections left. I'm going to get to the end of this section. And it is so much more enjoyable. It turns it into a game. I stop focusing on, oh my God, you've got 10Ks to go. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm powering through this section. This section's done really well. And before you know it, you've done the 10Ks and, you you know, if you did rest, it's probably way less than what you would have done if you're thinking, oh, I've got this big mountain of stuff. Pro- procrastinate, procrastinate, put it off, put it off. Another thing that I do is I just chunk things in time blocks um, if it's like a big task or an ongoing task because often if you think I've got to complete this task by this time frame then you put a bit of sometimes a bit too much pressure so for example say I want I need to plan a podcast episode what do I instead of saying I've got to plan this episode in the next hour and a half instead of that what I do is I will say I'm going to do four 30-minute work sessions and just see what I get done Because there's no pressure, I'm in a flow state, bang, 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 bang. I know the time is going to go off in 30 minutes and then I get up and, you know, do something else. So because I know that's happening, I don't have pressure on having that episode completed. And then ironically, I get way more than one episode done. And once I finish that episode, I've already allocated those four times 30 minutes. So I start working on another episode. And that's kind of how I I become more productive because I don't have that intensity of like this has to be completed by this time. I do the same for cleaning my home. My, my mum used to always say when we clean the kitchen, you know how like you've had guests over, whatever, you look at the kitchen it looks like a bomb's gone off. If you look at the whole thing, you're like, oh my God, I'll just leave it till the morning. And then you wake up frustrated and annoyed because you've got this clutter in your kitchen but my, my mum used to always say, every task, look at it as a puzzle. It's like one little puzzle piece. And you aim and you're just focusing on one puzzle piece at a time. And before you know it, the puzzle's being completed. So I do that with my wardrobe, with the kitchen. You just do one little task at a time and you chunk it into sections. So you do that with cleaning. You look at each different segment as a different section, as a different chunk. Stop focusing on the completion of the overall task because that will happen as a byproduct of this activity. Focus on the chunks. Because if you chunk things, no matter how big the task is or how small the task is, it's all the same. It's just a chunk of it, okay? It's just that time frame that you're allocating to get that thing done. or it's just that amount of the run that you're allocating in this moment that you're focusing on until you get there. Then you look at the next chunk. okay. So I highly recommend that you start to chunk things. Number five. Music. Music is one of the best ways to increase your productivity because it influences your brain waves. now you want to be focusing on different music for different tasks okay if you're wanting to get in the zone and be active and be working out you're kind of operating at a beta frequency there where it's like conscious activity and bang 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 let's go let's go so yeah you're going to probably play music that jeez you up and gets you in the zone and i'm all for it i love that and i do it all the time but you you want to look at different kinds of music for different activities that you're doing so, if you're now looking to get in the zone, calm yourself down and increase your creativity and your productivity, then you probably want to be getting into, or you definitely want to be getting into your alpha wavelengths. So, then you want to be looking at music or looking for music that is going to get you in a calm, relaxed state. Classical music is, they've done a lot of studies on classical music and that's shown to be a really good way to get you in that calm, in the zone, relaxed, um, like really Uh, creative state. But additionally to that, you can even YouTube um, like meditative music or alpha wave music and you're going to find some good music. But basically anything where you literally feel like, okay, I'm starting to relax. I'm starting to calm down. Music is one of the best tools to help you get there. And lastly, number six, I want you to start doing 60 seconds a couple of times a day start with two times a day if not ideally more ideally you want to be doing it like once an hour what's you know 60 seconds in an hour nothing so 60 seconds of deep mindful breathing slash meditative breathing okay it's just where you drop everything you put everything down and you just breathe and pay attention to that breath nice deep breaths for roughly a minute and if you don't want to be looking at a timer roughly 10 deep breaths okay that's what you want to be doing when you do this, you get into that alpha wavelength. You start to slow it down. You slow things down. You get into that karma state and your, you increase relaxation, wakeful relaxation, and your creativity increases. Now, can I quickly, before we end this episode, I want to be, get really clear on what I mean by creativity. I think a lot of people think, oh, yeah, cool. I'm not an artist, though. I don't need to be creative. But creativity, I think people mix... Or confuse creativity with creative people or creative types. Because when you think of, oh, they're a creative person, you instantly think artist, painter, singer, poet, etc. But creativity is crucial for everyone. Creativity. And increasing your creativity through meditation, through mindful breathing, will have you solving your problems in a fraction of the time. You, it helps you think laterally. A creative thinker can think laterally, think outside the box, think outside the lines. You start creating solutions and then you start creating possibilities for yourself left, right and centre. And if you're an artist, fantastic. Then it's going to help you too with artistic creativity as well. Additionally... When you increase these alpha waves, creativity aside, we've all realised we all need creativity. When you've increased your alpha wavelengths through this meditative, um, mindful breathing, just for even 60 seconds, a couple of minutes at a time, even, it's going to increase your pain tolerance. That's why focusing on slowing down the breath is a really good technique when you're in pain, just like calm down the breath, not these quick, short, sharp breaths. You want to start to really slow it down try and slow down your heart rate as well and start focusing on that breath because your brain actually responds differently to stimulus and and pain stimuli and starts to deal with pain a lot better when you're in a calm state, okay? So that's why – so my sister, she's a firefighter, lord, lord behavior. She is a firefighter and a lord and she – one of the things that they go to all the time is like – really distressed people especially let's take car accidents for example people are freaking out they're stuck in a car they're stressed she said the well maybe not the most important thing because you've obviously got to get them out of the car but one of the most important things that they have to do is make this person feel calm and make them feel that they are okay you want to calm them down get them down to that state so when you look at firefighters or where you look even on those tv shows and stuff and you look at paramedics as well they're, they've got this beautiful, calm, relaxed energy about them because that's infectious. If they were running to the same thing, like, fuck, fuck, look at you, you're fucked, you're fucked, this person's probably going to go into shock in three seconds, right? It's all about getting people into a psychological state where they start to breathe a bit deeper, calm down, and start to, um, and their brain starts to respond differently to what is happening around them. And that can save your life. Now, I'm talking, this is obviously fucking dramatic, but that's how the brain responds. So often how we end up experiencing things in our life is due to how the brain is responding at the time. And there's a lot that you can do to influence that. Um, Okay, fair enough. Take away the whole scenario of being stuck in a car. But if you're around people that are really stressed and around you, you might start that rub rub off onto you. So remove yourself from the situation and you're going to start to feel a bit calmer. You're going to start to be able to like change the frequency at which your brain is kind of at. If you're having a day where everyone around you is really stressed and they're just throwing off that energy around you, then the smallest things are going to infuriate you. Something that would a really calm person will be like oh yep okay not ideal but take that in my stride I'm gonna I'm gonna see what I can do about this to you if you're really stressed you're gonna be like that's it my day's done I'm furious I can't action anything right now your anxiety goes up your stress levels go up all of that starts to happen Um, so you need to pay attention to kind of your surroundings and ask yourself right now how am I feeling and this is why it's so good to throw in Point number six, your deep, slow, mindful breathing because no matter in what state you're in, deep breaths will help, okay? And I'm not saying you've got to do a 10-minute meditation and get in the fucking zone and visualize whatever. That's great, but you don't have to do that when you're highly stressed. Sit the fuck down and take 10 deep breaths and don't close your eyes even, okay? That is one of the best ways to change your state and change how you're responding to things and change how your brain responds to things as well. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Hopefully that was useful. Um, hopefully you can start putting one, two, all six of these things into practice. And yeah, go YouTube some, you know, alpha music, alpha brainwave meditation, meditative music. It's so good and you will notice the difference. You'll notice that you'll be in that calm, collected, creative state. It's beautiful. That is all for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please continue to share the podcast, spread the word about the podcast. We're trying to reach all the beans in the world, okay? That's our goal. We're reaching as many beans globally as possible um, to be part of the community. If you're not already, please jump onto the Facebook page. It is Do You Fucking Mind with Alexis Fernandez and I will let you into that page or the other admins will. I am planning on doing, I was going to do it this week, but it's slipped away from me. So I'm going to in the next couple of days do a live on that Facebook page just to answer some of your questions, have a bit of a chat with you guys and it will be the lives will be saved on that page. So you'll be able to go back and watch it um, if you miss it live. Anyway, that's all for today. Love you guys so much. Have a stunning week, a stunning week. And I will speak to you next episode. Thank you so much. As always, remember, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially, Especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.